privilege uh, um, of being the pastor here at uh, College Hill Presbyterian Church and our little expression of God's marvelous work of salvation through Jesus in his church, um, in our our lives and in his uh, creation. Um, and we've been walking through a series in First Peter uh, about uh, that living hope, uh, what we were just singing about, that no matter what, we have hope. And, and matter of fact, it's the only way we have hope is through Jesus, that we can live every day, uh, we can live um, uh, with a whole lot of other things not being present, but we can't live a moment without the love of Jesus being present in our lives. And, and today, we're going to be talking about how that living hope is for all. Um, and it's going to be for all uh, those that are the, at the, the furthest depth of darkness and hopelessness. By, by all, that's what uh, we mean today. It is those who are in the deepest place of evil. That there is no thing they can, there's no light they can see, there's no hope they can feel. That, that Peter is talking to his church then and he's talking to us today. That it's, it's not that we're in the, the, the last minutes of the fourth quarter down by 15 points. It's not that it's the bottom of the ninth with two outs and we're down by six runs. It's that the game is over. We have lost. Can, can you imagine how Christians feel in Ukraine today? I mean, how are we going to beat Russia? How is this going to happen without expanding into being nuclear? How in the world is this going to happen? The Christians today in Afghanistan and China who, who are meeting today in secret places. What kind of hope, really, do they ha- How are we going to beat ISIS, Al-Qaeda? We're, we're just a little group of a few people who, who love Jesus and we meet in these little spaces. How are we going to beat the Chinese government and army? That, that's, that's what this word is for. It's for all, even to the farthest reaches of hopelessness. So there may be some of you here online or here that you're you're feeling close to that space or maybe you're nowhere near that space. Well, praise the Lord. If the hope reaches that far, then it reaches you also. So everyone can receive this this hope as Peter is talking to the first century church as they're facing all kinds of persecution. Their friends are being beheaded. They're being imprisoned. They're on the run. They are forced refugees in other lands. And yet, they still have hope. That's, that's uh, what Peter is going to share with you and me and, and his whole, the whole church uh, uh, today. Uh, our passage is in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, starting with verse 18. And it will move into the uh, first part of chapter 4. Let's, uh, let's pray. Before we read, uh, Almighty God, uh, open our minds and our hearts today, because this, this this passage, Lord, it I mean it has some challenges to it. Your word sometimes is not very clear. So uh, wake us up, um, help our our minds to really be engaged with you, um, and so that our, our our very heart might be engaged with you also. Our, our whole selves. So speak to us, Lord, because we want to hear your word. We want this hope of yours in, in all circumstances, even when all is lost, to be true in 
us individually and as a people. So speak to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. Um, now, as I just prayed and have been praying, this passage has some challenging parts to it. You, you're going to be confused. 99.9% of you will be confused, except maybe for those who have PhDs in Semitic language. So that, and there, there is, it's possible that one or two are uh, here today that that's, or online that know it. But so what I want you to do, I just want you to promise with this one, you'll hang with me. You know, sometimes reading the Bible is, is like eating watermelon. You know, I mean, there, you, you cut it open and the first part is real. There's parts of it that are good and juicy and sweet. And man, you just want every part. Then there's other parts. I sort of like the, the whiter part as it gets pink and white. I sort of like that part myself. But when it gets really white and hard and green, I, you know, you can't eat that right there. Now, you can do some work and eat it. You know, you, I, I know folks pickle it. And I've had pickled watermelon rind before. I know some people cook it and candy it. I've had candied watermelon rind before. But it takes some work to get it. So today, this is some pickled watermelon rind in here. All right? This is some of the candied. So you're going to have to hang with me. So just engage as we walk through it. Don't, don't abandon ship. You know, the parts that are sweet, you can eat, eat them. The other parts, just put them to the side and we'll work on them. All right. So... Um, first Peter chapter three, starting with verse 18 for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh and made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. While the ark was being prepared. In which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. With angels, authorities and powers having been subjected to him. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. That though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Do you mean that? Thanks be to God. Now, the first part of the passage, we, we understand, verse 18, Christ suffered. Christ suffered for our sins. Now, but you think about this. Let's just take a minute, just hearken back to this thought that 
God the Son is the creator of the universe, the, the one who made all things, the one who's caused people to be raised from the dead, the one who fed thousands with a few loaves and fish, he is now choosing to suffer all the way to death. And it's not a quick and painless death. He didn't die in his sleep. He is betrayed. He is deserted. He is humiliated. He is ridiculed in front of all as all are gathered with him in a loincloth hanging on a cross. The game is over. It looks like he has lost. It looks like many times we are losing. Many, many times in our lives, we are in that place where we feel like the game is lost. And sometimes that, and that's what's happening with Jesus here. It looks like we are losing. Everybody, almost everybody has deserted him. But actually, what we'll see as we unpack this passage is that God is winning. In in the times when we may see that all is lost, when there's no way the bills are going to be paid, there's no way the, 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 the job is going to be had, there's no way we're going to succeed, there's no way we're going to make it through, or even when we don't, it may seem like all is lost. But behind the scenes, God is winning. Because what we know uh, from this passage and from the whole of the scriptures is that death of Jesus secures our forgiveness. The righteous one dies for me and for you, the unrighteous one. He gets what we deserve so that we get what he deserves. Whenever we find ourselves in that place of no hope, sad and brokenness, That we never will succeed. Look at Jesus on the cross. It looks like he's losing. It looks like he's lost. But God is winning. Now, uh, Peter goes on to tell us what's going on in the spiritual world. What we don't see. All the things that we don't see. What's going on back there? Well, what he says in verse, um, the second part of verse 18 is he's put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Now, what I think, now, another thing on this, I'm going to tell you what the, my study and work, what I think this passage means. Now, other people have very different opinions. This is not one where a lot of people agree. The main point that when it looks like all is lost, but God has won, Everybody agrees on that. But I'm going to give you what I think this passage is saying. Now, what, what I think uh, he's saying here is that Jesus dies just like you and I die. All human beings are made of body and spirit. I mean, we, now, the, and what happens with Jesus, what happens to every human being, when they die, their body dies, but their spirit is still alive. You may recall back back to the cross. We go back to the cross. Jesus hanging there with a loincloth and crowns in his uh, um, uh, crown of thorns in his head, spikes in his hands and his feet. And there, he's next to two thieves, who are rightly there being um, punished for their their crimes. And one of them says, "Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom." 
He is laying out his trust and faith, his appeal to God. Jesus, remember me. And Jesus turns to him and says, Today you will be with me in paradise. Well, their bodies are not going to paradise. Their bodies are dying. And in a few hours, they'll be in the tomb. They'll be in the grave. But their spirit still lives and their spirit goes to paradise. Their, their spirits are going to be together. This, this, talk about it looks like he's lost, but actually God's winning. This dude on, next to Jesus is a perfect example of that. It looks like everything is lost. And yet now he is connected to Jesus. And so when he dies, he goes with Jesus wherever Jesus dies. So Jesus, in his spirit, is now in what he calls paradise. Remember that. We'll get, we'll get back uh, to that. But in all people who have died, who, who are in Christ Jesus, are now in this intermediate state. This spiritual state. A day will come, and we're told about this, particularly in First Thessalonians, where one day Jesus will return. And if you remember, all those that are dead are with him, and their bodies are raised, and they're reunited with Jesus, fully reunited, as we were created to be, body and spirit together. Well, right now, all are in this intermediate state. Now, there's a lot of disagreement about this. In, in science and in theology, a lot of people who, who don't believe that we are body and spirit. A lot of people say, no, we're just body. We're just material things. And when, when we die, our, our body dies. And some theologians say, well, then, then Jesus re, or, or God's power reunites us and reinvigorates and we're resurrected bodies. But there's not body and spirit. Um, and a lot of folks uh, who are not believers think that's it. You know, the, once we are just body and once the body dies, well, then we go back into the earth and we're back into the energy sources of all of the, the universe. But there's nothing more. There's just death. One of them was Dr. Bruce Grayson. Now, Dr. Grayson um, was uh, just retired, uh, recently retired as the professor of psychiatry and neuroscience at the University of Virginia Medical School in Charlottesville, Virginia. And, and he... About, he's had a 40-year career, and early in his career, he had a real interest in what we call near-death experiences, where people, their bodies die, yet they continue to have an experience, and then minutes later, they're resuscitated, and they, when they wake up and they regain consciousness and they start talking, then um, they share their experiences that they had while Everybody else looked at them and said they were dead. And so he went to study these near-death... He, he estimates between 3 and 5% of the population have near-death experiences. We actually, some of you may remember, this is probably 10 years ago, that Joe Briner, who is a covenant partner here, he had a near-death experience. And he died on the, in an ambulance in the, from when he had a heart attack on his way to the hospital. And he shared it um, uh, here probably about... Uh, ten years ago. Now, Joe um, uh, died about a year year ago, uh, but he shared that experience with us also. Now, what um, Dr. Grayson has, has found is that there are a lot of similarities in these experiences that people have when they die. Some will share about how they have an out-of-body experience, and they they it's like they're seeing the room that they're in. Um, and they 
when they come back, they tell, this is what I saw. And they give details and details of things that it's not likely they would have seen in their state when they weren't dead. Their body wasn't dead. They, uh, one, one particular instance is when he, he talks about how one of the nurses had mismatched shoelaces that he hadn't noticed before seeing it. One of the most fascinating stories is the story of Jack and Anita. Jack is 25 years old but has cardiac problems and he's in the hospital. Anita's his main nurse. Uh, and on that, that Friday, uh, Anita turns 21 years old and she takes off for the weekend and to celebrate her 21st birthday, has a birthday party with her family. And, and But while she's gone during that Friday night, early Saturday morning, Jack has cardiac arrest and he dies for six, seven minutes saying that he's, he's dead. And they're working to resuscitate him and finally get him to... Uh, to back to life again. His body was dead, now it's back to life. And he starts sharing, when he's able, he starts to share his experience. And as he's sharing his experience of what he, he saw, what he felt, he, he asked the nurse about Anita. And, um, the, and he uh, tells him, well, this is what happened. I saw Anita um, while I was there, and Anita told me. She says, well, no, you're not supposed to be here, Jack. You need to go back. But when you do, tell my parents I'm sorry because I wrecked the, red, the brand new red MGB. And so he comes back and he tells that's what happened. And sure enough, Friday night, Anita got from her parents for her 21st birthday, a brand new red MGB. And as she was ride, driving around, lost control and died. And there's no way that Jack could have known that. Because it happened just hours before he died. And now, Dr. Grayson, he, he's not a believer. Even today, he's not a religious person. But what he knows is that there is something more than we can explain through science. He's got a a book out called After. If you want to go read some of his stories. And again, uh, what I'm I'm not agreeing with um, uh, anything but his reality check of saying there's something more than just what we see. That we are body and spirit together. And this is a good illustration of that very reality, those near-death experiences. And that's what Jesus, that's where Jesus is. Jesus dies just like you and I do. Just like our body dies and our spirit lives. Jesus did that in the fullness of his human incarnation. And now, and we're told, verse um, 19. So maybe, maybe you're with me on that. But then when I read 19, you know, I'm sure... Most of us are like, what is he talking about? In which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Now, Jesus preaches his victory over death to evil spirits who are in the place of the dead. I I can see the confused look um, in your face now. Because what's happening... Peter is using an understanding of what happens to the dead that was relatively well known in Peter's day and to his readers. It it was something that was a part of their Jewish understanding that was um, an understanding of what we call cosmology. 
of heaven, earth, and hell. And the understanding of what, what happens to people when they die. What happens with the folks in the place of the dead. And there was a place in the place of the dead where spirits were imprisoned. Now, all this, this notion, uh, again, hang with me, hang with me, that this notion comes from um, the book of First Enoch. Don't worry, that's not a Bible passage. That's not a Bible book. You're just saying, wait a minute, I thought I knew the Bible. It, it's not a book in the Bible, but it was a, a book that was uh, uh, one, a book used regularly in uh, Judaism in Peter's day. And first Enoch goes back and tells the story of Noah, uh, explains what happens in Genesis 6. You can go back and read that. Some of you may recall you know, the, the story of Noah when God brings judgment, causes flood, and he has Noah builds an ark, and just he and his family are saved, and all the animals go in by Tuesday, Tuesday. You remember that little song? And then the, they are saved from God's judgment you know, through the ark, through the, the waters of the flood. Well, there's a little story right before that that talks about how spiritual beings have children with humans. And uh, you may remember the term, the Nephilim. You know, the sort of giants in the land that are a part of this um, r- ridiculous interaction of spirit and humans. And, it, and it's just another sign that everything is falling apart. That it is evil and destruction, injustice and unrighteousness, horror and terror is happening. And which is the reason that God brings judgment. Well, Enoch, in his story, he, he talks about this and he, he lays this, this story out of the place of the dead. Um, where, uh, people go and they die and what happens to these Angels to these uh, spirits that are disobedient. So I'm, I'm going to read verse 20. And then I'll, I'm going to show you um, a little uh, slide that describes this. All right. So uh, Jesus went, proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. In which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Now, um, uh, Bailey, let's show the, the slide here that gives you, I'm not sure if you'll be able to see that well enough or not, the place of the dead. You can see there's the, the top of it. it, says the place of the righteous dead, uh, biblically called paradise or Abraham's side. It's in uh, Luke chapter 23 or Luke chapter 16. Luke 23 is the story I already told you of Jesus on the cross with the man by his side. And he says, today we'll be with you in paradise. Um, uh, Luke um, uh, 16 is a story that Jesus tells about a rich man and a poor man. The poor man's name's Lazarus. And the, the rich man goes to Hades. And the, the poor man goes to, the bo- they both die. The poor man goes to the bosom of Abraham. And you may remember that story and they have interaction um, uh, together. Well, that's the place. And and Enoch describes this and he's saying this is uh, what we understand, the place of the dead. The righteous dead, those that are righteous in God, uh, they go to paradise or Abraham's side, as mentioned there. There's another place in a sense, in the place of the dead. A distinction of a place where it's where the unrighteous go. And that's Sheol, Hades, Gehenna, that language. And again, you see that in that same parable Luke of Luke 16. But then the last place uh, that Enoch mentions, and again that we see biblically, the, the prison for disobedient spirits. 
The Greek word is Tartarus. And it's mentioned in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. Now, the translators usually have some element of hell or Hades or Sheol, the deepest part. But the Greek word is Tartarus. And that's what the writer of First Enoch would have presented. So this is, in a sense, the descent of the way of, the, of death. The descent of evil. The descent of brokenness and un- unrighteousness. And what Peter is telling his hearers is that Jesus, it looks like he lost. It looks like he's been destroyed. It looks like he has died. But what's going on behind the curtain is that Jesus, in fullness of victory, descends into the depths of death. He descends into the place of the unrighteous of unrighteousness. The place where the spirits who were made for God, for goodness, have rebelled against him. And they are imprisoned in this Tartarus. And Jesus goes to the depth. And there he dances. And he sings. And he proclaims, I am Lord. I have victory over the worst of sin, the grossest of evil, the most heinous death and disease you can consider. I am Lord. And he's telling his readers then who are facing such persecution from the Roman government, the religious leaders, and even their friends, that Jesus has gone to the depths of evil, proclaiming, pronouncing his victory. And he does the same in whatever evil, whatever pain, whatever loss you face. It looks like there's no way looks like we're losing, but God has won. That's what he's telling you. That's what he's telling me. That's what he's telling his readers in that day. The terror and horror, the place where terror, horror, and fear rule, Jesus has invaded and proclaimed his good news. Now, Peter, in his passage, is paralleling this story, um, uh, uh, the, the story of Noah and what happens with Noah and these disobedient angels and all the rest with what's happening with, Pe- with the, the church in Peter's day. He continues then in verse 21. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's a couple things that I want you to see here. One, that he, he's highlighting God's patience. I mean, it looks like we've lost, but in actuality God has won because God is patient. There's evil going all around. Even the disobedient spirits, the disobedient angels in the days of Noah. And God's not in a hurry. He's not rushing around throwing lightning bolts around. He, he calls Noah. He says, build an ark. The other stuff's still going on. Things are still um, they're spiraling out of control. Build an ark because God will build the way of salvation. Even in the deepest, craziest times of evil. So God is patient. And he's telling Peter, telling Peter, God is patient. God is doing what is necessary to bring about the salvation of God's people. God is doing what is necessary to maximize God's glory. God is patient. Trust in him. 
The other thing that Peter mentions here where it looks like we're losing, there's only eight of them. But to harken back to a TV show that maybe some of you know, eight is enough. Eight is more than enough for God to bring about salvation. And don't you know, with Peter and and the church, they're saying, man, everybody's deserting us. The the, the second part of the passage of chapter 4, where where Peter tells people, listen, you've got to follow the way of Jesus. The way of the world, the way of, 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 of parties, of orgies, of drunkenness, the ways of just going your own way, that's the that's not the way of Jesus. And there may be times that you you go the way of Jesus and everybody else deserts you. I mean, if, if you're an active Christian in high school, you experience that. If you're an active Christian in college, you experience that. If you're an active Christian in, um, in, in the world where lying and cheating and selfishness reigns, you experience that. Now, I've been called judgmental because of what I did or didn't do. It had nothing to do with what I said. Just because I said, no, I'm not going to do that. And I'm sure you have too. Well, that was happening. The multitudes with Peter and the church in Peter's day. And, and so he's saying, there may just be a few of you, but that's all right. That's enough. That's what God is doing. He will bring the way of salvation. He will bring the way of salvation that will save you from the waters of God's judgment. So in the middle of those times when you're lost, what, he's, what he tells them, the first, in verse 21, when the middle of those times when hope is lost, when you've lost, remember your baptism. Because in baptism you are united to Jesus. In life, in death, and in resurrection. Just like that thief on the cross next to him. You are united with Jesus. No matter what. There is indeed the truth. There is no, you can live without a lot of things, but you can't live a second without Jesus. In, in Him, we, God has won. No matter what it looks like around us. And we're, we're told then at the end that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, verse 22, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. He goes down into the deepest pit of hellish reality and there proclaims he is Lord of lords and King of kings and you are under his subjection there just as everyone is. And now he reigns supreme in the heavens over all of evil and terror and horror that exists. And he is victorious. God is patient. He is at work calling his people forward, building the ark in the work of the church around the world so that others might know and hear, even though things may seem totally out of control, even though it may seem like the world is lost, it may seem like your family is lost, it may seem like your life is lost, but God has won in Jesus Christ. Latch on to him. Remember your baptism. You are united with him today and forever. As we take some time of prayer, I encourage you to maybe be in tune with with whatever that evil, that lostness is, that, that sense of regret maybe. The things that, that, that you want, they're not coming back. 
that maybe death or disease have taken. Friends have deserted you. Maybe you're overwhelmed just by the injustice and evil in the world. Mass shootings every other week. Wars that continue. Disease. Illness. Whatever those things are that you feel, that darkness. When you say, yeah, this is a lost cause. And this time, we're going to take just a minute of silence. And then we'll, then we'll sing. Um, And in this time, I want you just to bring those things to the risen Lord. The, The one who stands in the heavens with all subjected to him, even the future. The one who one day will come back and make all things right. Whatever, whatever those deepest, darkest places of evil are for you. Hand those over to Jesus and watch him destroy them. And know that he is victorious. Almighty God, we do give you praise that you are the victor. You are indeed the supreme ruler of all. And your ways are not our ways. Your timetable is not our timetable. But we know you are the one who is supreme. And we thank you that you have given us the words of your truth, the words of hope, even in the midst of the deepest and and darkest of evil, horror, and terror. You, Lord Jesus, are the King of kings and Lord of lords. So we we bring before you the evil, the, the wars, the disease, death, the injustice of our world. The ways in our own lives that we have lost, that hurts, that we want back, that we grieve. We bring those to you and we lay them at your feet. And we we lift up particularly those that we've mentioned, those our brothers and sisters in in Christ who, who face such direct opposition in Pakistan and Afghanistan, China, Northern Nigeria, Northern Sudan. Lord, we we pray your hand upon them as well that they would know 
your victory. And help us, Lord, to live into that as your people around the world to hasten the day of your return as we witness to your beauty and your grace and your mercy, to to the fact that love does indeed win. And Lord, we we lift up uh, those that are a part of us who are um, sharing that good news in London, who've finished that, or maybe traveling home this weekend or in the near future. Pray your protection upon them. Pray the the work, the seeds that were planted are continuing to grow, and the the, the church that they served will take and tend that, that garden that you have, the harvest that you have for them there. We lift up uh, uh, this week, the swim ministry continues. We pray your provision uh, there and you again would continue to sow seeds and and demonstrate that reality for those, particularly those children, uh, those adults. They're scared of the water, that have no sense of victory whatsoever, think it's a lost cause. That even through that simple act, Lord, would you give them a sense that no, you are the victor. And Lord, we pray for the Runk family at the death of Richard Runk this week. And we pray they would know your victory. They would know the the power of your resurrection at this time of death and loss. And we pray that uh, Saturday's service would, would be one that celebrates and helps encourage all of your living hope that you indeed have won. And Lord, we pray as well for National Night Out this week. We pray that that gathering would be another one where we um, connect with our community. We support and uphold what what you are doing that is good. And we share this living hope uh, with others. You you would make those connections through these events. Lift all of these things unto you in the powerful name of Jesus, who indeed is Lord of Lords. King of kings, the ultimate victor over all of evil. In his name we pray. Amen.